Champions of Psychology is meant as education and entertainment. It is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling. Discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts. While we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources, we cannot offer any recommendations, advice, or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion, but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. We assume no liability for the use of the information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your own best judgment. Hello, and welcome to Champions of Psychology, a show with the goal of openly talking about mental health and gaming presented by Codename Entertainment and TakeThis.org. Every Tuesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time here on Twitch.tv slash Games, or later on your favorite podcast service, Mitra Jordan and Rafael Bucamazzo, a.k.a. Dr. B, talk about mental health and how gaming affects us. I took the line out. I changed it. Oh, <laughs> you uh, did. I did. Uh, if uh, if you're here with us live in the chat, you can leave a question that I, Trevor Bettis, will ask them later in the show. Uh, as a heads up, Zoom is being a little weird today so video might be a little off i am sorry if it is i don't know what's going on it's the it, magic of Zoom. it's because i'm broadcasting from vacation yes exactly yeah yeah absolutely uh, <laughs> uh but our topic today is going to be couples therapy but before we get to that who are you two for the fine folks who may not know oh oh i want to do couples therapy i mean I wanna, <laughs> I <wanna. laughs> i'm mitra jordan i uh work as a therapist in victoria bc i'm in private practice um i love working with couples couples are great <laughs> and that's all for me so please. <laughs> this guy this guy here <laughs> um well hi everybody oh boy my frame rate really is wonky god my internet really is awful today gang i am so so sorry um we have not figured out what's going on with my internet on my end of the world uh but i am dr b rafael bocamazzo better known as dr b for long italian name reasons and i am a clinical psychologist in beautiful washington state where i'm on my staycation <laughs> and uh i am the clinical director over at at take uh the what was it the very first mental health nonprofit to serve the game community. I'm an expert on applied tabletop RPGs and clinical and learning settings. And I am here with all of you lovely people on Champions of Psychology, mostly to listen today, because yes. as I mentioned, I am on vacation. Mm -hmm. I have my my beverage and uh, also I don't do couples therapy. So <laughs> we're here to ask questions today because we've got we've got the expert. Yeah. Yeah, Mitra. Ooh. What's up? The person who does couples therapy? Yes. Yes. I find couples therapy fascinating and fun to do. But um, where do I start? What well, is couples I, we, therapy? Yeah. Right? Let, you have yeah questions. Let's start where we you have questions. Do. Yeah. I have Mitra. answers. Hey, Mitra. <laughs> hey. He's worse than usual on vacation. <laughs> What's couples therapy? <laughs> What is couples therapy? So couples therapy is when you work with a, a couple who are in a um, some form of committed relationship to each other. 
where there are dynamics at play in their relationship that are interfering with their sense of connection and their communication and possibly other aspects of their relationship, <clears throat> or they might be facing something that's been really difficult for them maybe a death or uh, issues with children. And these are things that bring people into couples therapy where you work with both the people and where your client is really the dyad or pair of two as opposed to focusing just on one. Wait, 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 wait. What? Wait, you're yes. saying that you're working with individuals, but you're not working with individuals. How does that work, Mitra? I this is quickly this turning into time. an infomercial, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. It's it's a little terrifying. <laughs> okay. Yes, you're working with individuals, but you're not working with individuals. You're holding the space for their individual thoughts, feelings, opinions. You want each of them to get to bear witness to the other. Um, and you're also holding the space for the relationship. You know, the whole you, me, us thing. But you're serving the you you're your client isn't the people, it's the dyad, it's the relationship. Yeah, your client, well, it's both, right? Your client is the people because of their individual experiences that have brought them to that, this particular place that's led them to come to couples therapy. Okay, I have to really lower this thing because like, there we go, that's better. <clears throat> okay, so your client is the couple but it's also the dynamic and the relational experience that the couple have with each other. Because when you and me get together, we form an us that has a culture, a set of experiences, a history, and a set of dynamics that belong to the relationship. Oh, you may take some of those into your other relationships with other people, of course, but that's still how you interact together and what's happening in those interactions that is also the client, if you will. This sounds complicated. Well, that's the thing. Couples therapy is complicated, but it's also really great. It's kind of like, I think of it as detective work in some ways, right? An excavation of what's happening for people. I think of this in terms of individual work as well, where I'm trying to make sense of how a person is doing, what's led them to that point, what in their history is getting pulled into the present moment, all of that. But when you're doing it with, with a couple, you've got you know their individual history, if you will, and the alchemy, cocktail, whatever you want to call it, that happens when both of those experiences and cultures and assumptions come together in terms of what's what is created between them yeah i'm doing this a lot sorry but you know that's kind of it you're holding the space for all of the stuff that's going on with them yeah and this sounds complicated again this sounds it incredibly is. complicated <laughs> it well, is no, it I'm, is I mean, in seriousness this is actually part of the reason that i um i don't do i i don't work with couples um, in, in a formal con in a formal couples therapy context, I will work with families. I will work with, with partners to serve my individual clients, mm -hmm. but, um, I, I don't actually do couples therapy and, uh, Mitra's pointing out some of the reasons why not all therapists do it. Um, and I mean, to, to be frank, um, there, yeah, not everybody can, can walk that fine line of, 
serving the dyad without favoring each of the individuals. Like we have our biases and we have our, our um, yeah, our biases that we need to be aware of as mental health providers. And also it's just a lot of information to juggle when you're, when you're working with a couple. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, which is why couple sessions, at least as, as I do them, are typically longer. So when I see an individual client, I'll often see them for an hour. Now, maybe if I'm seeing that individual client less frequently, say, we might do, I don't know, once or twice a month, and we might do an hour and a half, just to catch up, just to feel that connection and to get some good work done. But when I do, when I work with a couple, I'm always doing an hour and a half. An hour is never enough. People start to get anxious about being heard. Um, there's usually more information that can be shared. And in my experience, when I've scheduled an hour, we almost inevitably are going to go over. And that's not good. You know, I want to be able to bring them into the session, have them relax in the session and share what they need to both get a chance to process what they share, close that back up so that when they leave my office, they can feel safe to kind of do their week or whatever together um, and then come back uh, the next time. So that's a lot, right? I actually didn't know that about the time. I I know it's, I'm focused on the time thing there, but I actually didn't know that. And I, I think I just realized that I, thought it was just a normal size therapy session of like if I went there on my own but that makes complete sense there's more people there there should be more time right and not everyone works that way some people will do an hour it just doesn't work for me in terms of being able to get through processing what people are sharing so it depends on how you work but I'm a very relationally attachment focused therapist Um, To my mind, just as when I've talked about working with individual people, we talk about emotionally corrective experiences, right, where we talk about being able to have a different experience of information that you've shared. So, you know, we can tell a story, for example, about um, the death of a parent or um, moving to a different country, and there's grief and loss in there, right? So part of the healing Um, of those experiences is being able to have a witness to them and to be able to share information, how you felt it, and to be affirmed for that, to have that information validated and, you know, just someone to explore with you. And it's in that experience that we can do some of the healing work, right? A lot of times in life, if you say to someone, oh yeah, you know, my parent, died or something happened that's difficult you know their response is oh i'm sorry that must have been hard and that's great on one level but on another i then start to take care of them right in therapy i get taken care of right i can sit back and just allow myself to feel my feelings so when you're working with a couple yes there's two sets of feelings right there's two sets of experiences there's two sets of validations if you will And it's not just that I validate, it's that you can get people to validate each other in a way that maybe they haven't been able to, right? Because if we get into arguments with our spouse or partner and it's kind of like you always, you never, and this always happens and and we're kind of like this and it's just, it's not, there's no movement. 
in those sorts of arguments. I've told you now three times, you know, whatever it is, right? And so we're stuck, right? One person moves into defending, the other person moves into trying to be heard. So when you're in a session, what the therapist gets to do is break some of that down so you can actually hear each other. And there's that emotionally corrective experience we're talking about. But because we're slowing it down and we're, we're trying to hear each other, it's not a speedy process. We just slowed it down, but it's also, it also means that I'm now gonna have a lot of feelings about what I've really witnessed. And we want time to process that before they go home so that they can stay in that sense of connection, of, of friendship, of companionship, rather than moving into feeling defensive again. Well, so, okay, hold on. So how, all of this sounds a lot like individual therapy where, where I, let's say somebody comes into my office, we chat, um, which admittedly, you said it slowed down, um, but how do you figure out what to be working on in, in couples therapy? Because I, I suspect by the time people get to your doorstep, there's a lot of bad experiences already in play. There are, but there's usually themes. There's usually a familiarity to the kinds of experiences. That is to say, many of the experiences are like each other. So for example, if you work with someone where one partner just seems emotionally unavailable to the other, right? And so the other partner who's looking for that connection is experiencing various kinds of betrayals, right? <clears throat> and what I mean by this is things like, um, you know, when I said I was worried about the kids because of X, you didn't, you weren't listening to me and now look where we are, right? So there's been many instances of sharing about a thing where they felt they haven't been heard. Or I went to my folks place and you know it's really hard for me and you refuse to come. You've decided you don't wanna have anything to do with my parents. What you don't realize is that means you're not supporting me. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, so they're all, they all got, have the same flavor. Mm -hmm. Go on. Yes, yeah, you I, 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 yeah, I, I want to raise my hand because I, I, I don't want to cut you up there. I, it, I, the, the question that I had was like, do you find that there is a difference in, you know, when you're sitting down with one person and talking with them of finding the things to work on? Is it, it do you find that there is a difference between the individual and then the couple? Like, finding what the points are to work on there? For sure, for sure. So for instance, if I'm working with an individual and they say, um, you know, I'm a creative person and I've been feeling really dry lately. I've been feeling like, you know, I can't write, I can't paint, I can't whatever, right? So we're going to work on the root causes of, of that for them, right? And that's the direction, that's the lens. With, and from that place, we start the work and we're probably broadened out to a whole bunch of other things that maybe have affected their creativity, right? <clears throat> when I'm working with a couple, it's the same thing. They come in with a lens. They come in with an idea of what's not working. You know, whether it's their parenting styles are very different and they're really frustrated by that, right? And so that's gonna be the beginning point, looking at what happens in that sense of frustration that they're experiencing? Why are they missing each other on this particular topic? 
you know, is there other particular challenges with one of their children that take them back to their own childhood, right? For example, or is it that they're dealing with something that they just never experienced before? And I'll sometimes deal with this, like um, somebody's child might have a neurodivergent diagnosis, for example, <clears throat> and you've got two parents who see themselves as neurotypical, they may or may not be, as we know, but you know, they don't know what to do about this. And that's creating a lot of conflict for them in terms of, well, I think we should be more firm and not be so, you know, um, permissive with them. I think we should do this. I think we should do that. I don't want to go see therapists or whatever. I'm a perfectly fine parent. You can see how this brings up a whole host of issues, not just around parenting, but even around attachment. How do we attach with our kids? How do we support Blue. them? How were we attached as children? <laughs> How weren't we, right? So, so there's a lens and then it gets like this and you kind of have to decide, okay, where do I start? Where do they want to start, right? Mm -hmm. So, but, Okay, so kind of, hey, Mitra, hey, hey. <laughs> Just gonna take a sip here. Go I really on. wish I could. Yeah, I, I'm really tempted to tell the podcast episode. Hey, Mitra. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna go for. Mm. If my hair was shorter, I'd go full Harry Carey on here. <laughs> hey, Mitra. <laughs> if you were a moon and you were starving to death. Oh God. <laughs> um. No. But like, okay. So, uh, we've heard. What is couples therapy actually good for? I like what it. I mean, we we can turn this into sort of the the the, the sort of faux infomercial that it is it slices it dices it removes pesky stains in five applications or less but but like for realsies what is couples therapy actually good for okay so why go to a couples therapist as opposed to what as opposed to do nothing as opposed to bowling bowling uh, yeah why go to a couples to... therapist instead of joining a bowling league ah or we just need more date nights we don't need therapy right that's oh God! I've actually yeah, question. no, I've heard that one. I've literally right? heard that one from yeah, from with some people, of my yeah. individual clients. I and I don't even have clients, and I've heard that one. <laughs> yeah. So why go to couples therapy? Okay, so couples therapy, depending on where you're at in your life, can help set you on the right path together, if you will. I mean, there isn't any one right path, but he definitely the. A writer path is when you're connected and you're communicating well. And you can also look at how your family history might intervene negatively with that or set you up for not success. For example, a lot of people don't realize the templates they carry around about what um, married-like relationships mean. And you know, this has nothing to do with, with gender or sexuality, but regardless of who, you're watching your parents your mothers or your fathers, and they have certain- We're roles. watching our parents? As children, we're watching our parents. Mm, we're watching okay. our parents or caregivers, grandparents, whoever's around us to determine how to do that, oh, how to be okay. who they are, right? So we make sense of how to be in our relationship by watching the relationships around us. This is all well and good if they're really functional, healthy relationships, right? It may be a problem if they weren't. Wait, wait, <laughs> so... wait, 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 wait. Well, so what you're saying, Mitra, is that if as we grow up, we have poor examples of relation of romantic and familial relationships, we might learn some bad lessons. I mean, yeah. <laughs> oh. 
Wow. This is Dr. B's learning vacation. This is love it. <laughs> I'm also loving the background. I leave my I leave all of my degrees at home and <laughs> when I go on vacation. But he will be walking on water in a second if you keep I'm actually eventually I'm not I'm going for the Timmy uh Timothy Olmanson hair. Uh, I'll mm. grow out my uh grow out my beard and just really look like uh like uh Lassie from I from, lad, uh, from but Psych. it's quite radical. <laughs> I'd be, be a pirate of psychology. <laughs> That's yeah, our spin-off pirate. show. Yes, pirates no, of psychology. I, okay, so we'll be doing it. Next but season. this is I, I will say that um one of the uh like for me, I've been very public about my autism. Very, I've talked about my autism. And the the reality for me is that um, couples therapy is almost an inevitability for me. Um, not, not for everybody on the spectrum, but for me, because one, uh, my parents didn't have the healthiest dynamic as a child when I was a child. And also I date I I do relationships different because I'm on a different operating system but I was taught to date neurotypical. Mm-hmm. And so for me, couples therapy ha- has been a just truly invaluable thing because it's, it's helped essentially ta- do overcome some of the things that Mitra's talked about uh, expectations of what a quote, good relationship looks like. And um, there's a lot of stuff I realized that I had to unlearn and that my partner had to that uh, has had to adjust their expectations as well because a lot basically like the language I speak interpersonally between us is different than what they've come to expect and uh, couples therapy has been absolutely invaluable for me in learning some strategies around that sort of thing um, between the two of us and basically keeping it healthy. Absolutely, and it's that piece around expectations and reality and how change works, um, they're so important. They're big because we, as I said, we come in with these templates, these ideas. And these ideas are based on two things. They're based on our life experience, um, what happened. And they're also based on what we imagine and hope for, what we want to have happen, right? And so then you get together with another person and they have their own, uh, what happened, what I want to have happen what was done, maybe what I didn't like. And it's entirely possible to, particularly when it comes to parenting, um, that we think what happened to me was maybe was okay. You know, so some people come in going, well, my dad, mom did whatever, parents did this, that, and the other, and it was just fine, right? Or the reverse, right? Which is that I don't wanna do anything how it happened for me, right? And I've talked to, you know, I've had, clients who were, for instance, in the foster care system, right? Or other people there where there was upheaval and maybe there were many parent type figures or guardians you know, involved in their life. And so they've had lots to draw from and they haven't liked any of it or there's only been one shining example or whatever, right? So we have these many variations in terms of expectation, hope that are coming into the room. And then we have the generational milieu and we have the cultural milieu and we have all of the other pieces around my careers or how I handle death or my hopes and dreams, right? So 
then they all come into the room with these folks. So how we want our partners to change is probably not gonna be how our partner will change, but we can, if there's a will on both sides, improve how they communicate about their life experience, how they see the world and how they receive your life experience and how you see the world. And so between that, between those two things, we can kind of make things work a little better in terms of communication and connection. So something that I often work on with individual clients, but it becomes particularly important with couples is family history and kind of a casual version, if you will, of the adult attachment interview. So this comes out of um, attachment theory work that was begun by Bowlby and Ainsworth a long time ago and has evolved with many therapists since then and many educators and researchers where it talks about how did we attach in our families as children and how do we have an expectation then as adults to attach to others, with others? So you guys look very serious all of a sudden. Well, I <laughs> Very serious, taking this in. Well, it's it, it. There's a lot to consider here. One of the questions yeah. I'm having, one of the questions I have um, as I'm thinking about this is, what's the threshold for you? And this was just brought up, kind of brought up in chat by Reaver. The mm. where does therapy for an individual turn into couples therapy? Like, where's where would you recommend somebody? going into working on couples therapy as opposed to just individual stuff, or do you do them all in tandem? Sometimes it's a good idea to do them in tandem, which is to say, um, I've had people who've been in individual therapy where their individual therapist has suggested that they and their partner come to couples therapy. So there's a referral in there someplace. Um, or the converse, I'll be working with a couple and I'll notice some of the individual pieces that are coming in and really intruding on the couple's connection, but they very much come from, say, someone's history or an experience that they're dealing with, that it's not appropriate to, to you know, project that onto their partner. It's something that they need to work on individually. So we talk about that. And that's, in general, that's one of the utilities of going to therapy so that you can actually kind of, you know, you come in and there's like a whole ball of experiences, you know, tangled yarn, if you will, right? And there's this process of untangling and making sense of. And so in the context of working with the therapist, you can kind of make sense of where is it uh, about the us? Where is it about the relational dynamic? And where is it about my individual relational dynamic and expectations that then comes out in all kinds of relationships, right? It might come out with friends. If I have issues trusting people, for example, that's gonna come out in a bunch of different places, for instance. So, so uh, a skilled therapist will help you navigate that. Um, so, oh, please, sorry, Trevor. I, I was like to say, let's actually take a quick break to remind our viewers and listeners of our disclaimer, and then we'll come back with a little more uh, uh, about uh, couples therapy. Uh, and remember, you can put your questions in the chat in our awesome mods, Mars and Martin, will yeah. grab them and put them into a doc yeah. so yeah. we can ask them into the show. But we'll be right back. Champions of Psychology is meant as education and entertainment. It is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling. 
Discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts. While we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources, we cannot offer any recommendations, advice, or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion, but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. We assume no liability for the use of the information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your own best judgment. All right, Dr. B, what were you going to say there? Well, I'm going to say, well, Mitra, if this is all the things that couples therapy does, what doesn't it do? Yeah, there's a lot it doesn't do. Um, I cannot fix a marriage or save a relationship. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, can't do that. We had a plot twist Listen, in the middle of the episode. Uh, Mitra, we need to stop <laughs> before this. And... <laughs> No, but it's that this is this is something I I hear from individual clients that they're they are considering couples therapy really um, when things are seemingly insurmountable that they don't know what else to do and they so they're just like ah things are really bad it's do it's do or die time for the relationship metaphorically speaking and they're like couples therapy. That doesn't just fix the situation. No, but it does help you make sense of the situation. Like, I can help people provide data into their relational experience. What they decide to do is up to them. I cannot determine for a couple whether their relationship is going to work or not. I can at times hold hope for the relationship. I can at times point out what I think are strengths in the relationship if I'm asked to. Um, and I often will, you know, I'll talk about the dynamic and the themes that have come up and where I see, I think that they have managed to cope admirably say in really tough situations and where I feel like, you know, the relationship could use some work, right? Um, but it's also for them to determine that, right? So as we talk, they start to figure out what's going on and how they're feeling and they start to experience their partner differently maybe when they're at home and some of that different might be good and some of that different might be yeah it's just really not going to work and that's okay right I'm not in the business of fixing so much as I'm helping people figure out what they're looking at so they can because it can be overwhelming right so if we can kind of parse it out and break it down and look at the themes and the dynamics and all this they can decide whether they're up for that work, whether the work will take them where they want to go or, you know, and, and if it's not going to work, I can help them work out how are we going to work out dissolving? How are we, if we have children, work out how to tell them or what to do next or any of that? So well, that you're bringing up a really interesting point. And this was, this was something like all joking aside, this is something I remember from my first year of grad, stu uh, grad school is um, our professor who was really the guru of couples and family therapy um, when it came to our school, talking about that, that sometimes because you're serving the, the dyad itself and not the individuals, sometimes the best thing to serve the dyad is to not keep people together. 
Yeah. Um, I, again, more self-disclosure. There is no, there's no amount of couples therapy in the world that could have made my ex-wife and I compatible. Um, I mean, we, we tried, but we just fundamentally, there were so many mismatches that there was no couples therapist who was going to fix that. Mm-hmm. And so what you're saying is sometimes the best way to do that is to guide people through the process of, of amicably uh, parting ways. Right. And if guide, possible. Yeah. And guide is, is something you, you know, you do very carefully, which is, so it's not my opinion, but if that's what they decide, um, then I'll help them with that. And if they're asking, um, then I will share what I feel their strengths are as a couple and what I feel are some of their challenges as a couple, right? And they can decide what they want to do from that. But it's one opinion very carefully shared with multiple opinions and the people who matter most are the couple. Because I have seen people manage some really, some things that for another couple might be insurmountable. I've seen people, for instance, um, cope with infidelity and mm. move through it. That is a really tough one. For many people, it's an absolute deal breaker. Um, now, when there's multiple infidelity, like good luck, folks, you know, come on, that's really hard. And now, if we have different agreements in terms of is the relationship open or not, that's not infidelity. Right. You but know, when, so when you're different. talking about infidelity, you're talking, I'm talking about essentially about, betrayal. Yeah. Right. I'm talking about there was an agreement to be monogamous or whatever, there were some boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. And somebody went and transgressed them. And these are harder things to overcome. So it's not impossible. And it depends on the reason for the transgressions. And it depends on the connection between the couple. And, you know, it's complex. Um, but there are some things that are just harder to overcome. If you fall out of your love, of love with your partner for the kind of parent that they are, or, or to be more clear, the parent they're not, Mm -hmm. That's also a really difficult one. Now it's complex again. It depends on what's going on. What was their own issues with their parent? Are we enacting some kind of trauma? What's going on, right? Mm -hmm. but, uh, but it's also a tough one to get over. So, yeah. Well, well, and so another thing is like, if somebody comes into another, somebody comes into you, uh, to your office and you know, obviously there are cases in, in situations like abuse where it really is the responsibility of one person doing a lot of harm. Um, I'm guessing more commonly it's a dynamic issue between both parties. And it, please correct me if I'm wrong. This is really not my area of expertise. I mean, some kinds of abuse, you know, you have to find a way to report because I have a duty to right. report. It's right there in my, in the document of consent that they sign. Um, there are some situations where it's really tricky. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm, because when women leave an abusive relationship, they're seven times more likely to be killed. In other words, in, in serious abuse cases, they are sevenfold in more danger after they leave. And this is why transition houses are so careful not to let out locations and all of this because these women need to be safe. And I say women because a lot of times that's who's really at risk. It's not all the time. Sometimes there are cases where, you know, maybe the other partner, maybe male partners are at risk from each other as well. 
because abuse is not limited to heterosexual relationships by any means. So, however, so in those cases, if someone comes and sees me and that's what I'm worried about, I have to move and I also have to move carefully. I have to find a way to get some support to the partner who needs the safety plan. So, yeah. And those relationships, when there's serious abuse, physical, emotional abuse, they may not be, um, it may be that they just can't and continue and it may be that they absolutely shouldn't continue. Well, and, and again, not my area of expertise, but my, under, my understanding is that uh, couples therapy in cases of abuse is in fact contraindicated because Absolutely. you're putting, because there's too much of a dyna uh, power dynamic going on there. Absolutely. Um, and in order for couples therapy to be effective, both partners ha have to feel safe. Yes. And it there has to be doesn't work. Mm -hmm. equal footing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So yeah, when something like that walks in my door where it's, it's contraindicated that there be couples therapy, but I want to figure out how to keep parties safe. You know, we don't make these decisions alone. Mm -hmm. One of the best things about this work is even when you're in private practice, you can seek supervision, you can seek, uh, you can have a conversation with colleagues, you can bring more eyes on the situation, um, you can find ways to support people where you're not making the decision alone as well as the mm. therapist and where you're helping bring a team of support around the individual who really needs it. So. Um, well, yeah. we are, uh, we're getting towards the end of our episode here. Mitra, is there any uh, other things you want to touch on before we pass it over to chat, see what they've been up to? Well, one thing that I would really urge people is if it crosses your mind that couples therapy would be useful for your relationship, schedule an appointment. Because even if you find things are just fine, isn't that great news? When is it ever a bad time to explore your relationship? If you're with someone and you want that deeper connection, get some support for it. Because even if you think, oh, I've only been married three years, this thing is coming up, or I've only been in a committed relationship, you know, that's fine. Get some, get the support, get another set of eyes if you feel like it would be helpful. The number one problem that occurs so frequently in couples therapy is too little, too late. I'm leaving you. No, no, let's try therapy first. I've been trying to say this thing for years. You never listen. I'm ready now. Let's go to therapy. Too much damage might have been done. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm going to be honest. I'm at a loss for a transition to that. So I'm just going to talk through that. Um, but honestly, th thank you for uh, taking the lead on all of that. That was a fantastic, I mean, 40 minutes of hearing about this and i i know personally i learned a lot there um i do think that uh to to uh changing over to things i will write i will uh, say a comment that was put in the chat earlier when it was brought up about the infomercial style uh this is from some dude chillin uh look how look how this copy some of, dude chillin right over here look, look how this copy of the dsm slash uh, smashes through your in uh intimacy issues uh, yet remains sharp enough to slice through your ripe tomatoes oh god <laughs> 
Well, you think we could do this with the DSM-5, now featuring the DSM-5-TR. So uh, Monkey House has our our first question. uh, Question, uh, how frequently do couples uh, initiate couples therapy outside of the context of relationship troubles? Uh, I feel uh, culture has shaped the perception of, uh, quote, couples therapy as a last resort so strongly. I'm curious. Ah, well, I would have said it definitely was considered a last resort. Often people will come to individual therapy first and complain about their spouse, for example. Um, I will say, though, it's been really interesting in the wake of COVID Mm. because couples therapists have never been busier. And it can actually be a little bit tough to find find a couples therapist these days. Um, and so when I say make an appointment, yeah, you know what, do it because you might be seeing them three months from now. So, hey, yeah, yeah you know, it's, it's really gotten a lot busier out there. And I think, of course, it's because people have spent so much time together, more mm-hmm. time than usual. And the other piece is we often use other resources in order to manage our relationships, right? So you've got, you know, working out at a gym with your friends, you've got going out to get togethers, you've got going out to restaurants, these may be things that really worked for couples or some of the hobbies that they shared together that helped them feel connected, had to now go by the wayside. And it made it much more difficult for people and they much more um, that the challenges in the dynamic would have been much more um, apparent to them. So makes sense. Uh, I, I I know there were jokes for a while during lockdown, just like, oh, this is the real test of the relationship. So, it makes oh my sense. god, yeah, Absolutely. oh my god, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. Oh, everybody I know said the same thing. Yep. Yeah. Hey, you know, I know we love each other, but do we love each other only each other for one full year in lockdown during a global trauma? Yeah. I mean, it is really trying on every relationship. And I think it's important to acknowledge that, right? A part of healthy relationship is to acknowledge the ways in which you can drive each other around the bend so that you can be gentle about them. So you can joke about them. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, we used to have a whole loading the dishwasher issue that routinely came up in my marriage. <laughs> and, you know, God. I know a lot of people who have that, that dishwasher discussion. Or, it, oh my, it's, you know. you know, that's your book, by the way, Mitra. It's not actually the dishwasher. Oh, it's not actually (laughs) exactly beautiful. It's not about the dishwasher. It's not about. Oh gosh! Or or control, yeah, or control (laughs) in the kitchen. You know, those eggs are starting to look mighty overcooked over there. (laughs) (laughs) A little passive aggressive. I'm just trying to help. Oh boy. Hey Mitra. Hey Mitra. Oh god. God, that wall's looking awfully. I don't know saffron <laughs> it is very saffron it is true it is true it is super well lit and extremely saffron i happen uh, to like saffron also turmeric all the yellow things in fact oh look at th- look at this i'm throwing passive aggressive mitra's way and there she is just like neo in the matrix wah, 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 wah. <laughs> just not even engaging <laughs> that, that was fantastic <laughs> No, this is this is uh, the last uh, the last couple of years have just been so hard on every couple. And there's actually a term that I, I was introduced to recently 
that I, I think most therapists know this concept, but I never heard this term before and I need to look more into it. And it's called the arrival fallacy. Oh, I've heard of oh. this. Yeah. And it's basically things will be better when things ah, will yes. be better yeah, yeah, when. Yeah, yeah. And totally. I would imagine with couples, there's this idea that all of our problems will be solved when X happens. Yeah. That, oh, yes. Oh, you know this brought the, something up. Oh, big time. So so one of the things that, that has happened with couples that I've noticed over the years is sometimes the better when has led to more commitment when it shouldn't. Things will be mm. better when we're finally, you know, married or marriage-like commitment. Right. Things will be better if we oh, buy God. a house. Oh God, that was actually said to me in my marriage. Yeah, and it's such a mistake. <laughs> oh jeez, folks, I don't advise on this channel, but I'm gonna suggest that <laughs> if you're considering upping the ante to make things better, stop, sit see a therapist <laughs> slow it down slow it down this so is, this is different a red than the flag last, for you hugely this is a difference mm. between this is a difference between the final couple of intense arguments you might have right before you get married where there's been mm. not really a lot up till then no breakups no nothing right but now you're having yourself you find yourself having really stupid arguments that's fine that's fine Right. No, I, weddings I, are stressful. I mean, like if anybody's ever, if oh anybody's ever planned a wedding, uh, my, my same former professor who taught us enough, taught me enough about couples therapy for me to know I don't want to do it. Um, what is said, the two most stressful events in a family life cycle are marriages and funerals. Absolutely. And funerals are actually uh, easier in some ways because people are just coming together, um, you know, to grieve. People have lots of opinions about weddings. Yep. Oh God, <laughs> it's, it's complex yep. to hold the space. So my point oh. there is don't worry about those kinds of tiffs, but do worry if you're thinking things aren't so good, but I should propose. No. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. It's okay to wait. There is no rush. So if you're thinking about deepening the commitment, but you feel really rocky about your connection, you know, if you're honest with yourself, um, take a step back and look at that connection. Try to see what you can do to build on that first. Mm -hmm. It's the connection, that sense of attachment, that sense of being intimate and comfortable and excited, but restful in the relationship. A relationship that's good should feel much of the time easy. Yeah. Well, isn't there and, the, isn't there Gottman's ratio? Oh yeah. Remind me. Um, is it, uh, I guess, God, I can't believe I I'm reminding think. you of something. I know, wow. I'm just immediately thinking bank account and I'm thinking four horsemen. So give me yeah, the no, issue. I, <laughs> I think there was, a, I, I the, the, the very famous ratio that um, a lot of therapists uh, learn about is based on John Gottman's relationship mm. research. And that's the idea that we have a ratio of at least five to one oh, positive yeah, yeah. to negative experiences oh, within right. the context of right. a relationship. That's what you're going with, the sort yeah. of positive versus critical. Yeah, right. absolutely. The thing is, life is going to throw curveballs at your relationship and is going to throw challenges. And that's fine. That's life. That's what life does to all of us. But your internal connected world shouldn't be the challenging part. Mm -hmm. In other words, there will be challenges coming up that are going to shake up the relationship and you're going to sort of have to figure out how to lean on each other and support each other through things. But if the challenge is your dyad and in interaction, 
that's another layer of stress on top of what life will throw at you. That's very difficult. And I think you all understand what I'm talking about when you think of this in the context of COVID. Mm -hmm. COVID was an external stressor that created challenges to was. the relationship. Is Very much is, unfortunately. You're right. Um, but within the context of the relationship, if there were already stressors, it will have made things even worse. So that's, that's what I'm, where I'm coming from with this. Oh God. I mean, and how many parents, I mean, this is this sort of a rival fallacy concept. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many, how many couples think, well, if we just have a child, that'll make our marriage better. Really won't. Ooh. It really won't. What it'll do is it'll bring up two things. It, you know, it'll bring up two major things, how we parent. Um, it'll bring up possibly issues of religion and spirituality. It's going to bring up how do we discipline a child. It may bring up your own childhood trauma. And it most certainly will bring up how you handle tasks, yeah. as in how you share the responsibilities mm -hmm. of this child. It, it will also bring up your thoughts and issues around healthcare, your thoughts and issues around education and schooling. It, it, it almost sounds like sharing uh, parenting duties is complex and will not in fact fix things, but will in fact make things more complicated. 100%. I love having children, but it is the most trans it's the most difficult transition in the context of a relationship that you will ever have. Okay, no, I shouldn't say that you will ever have because there might be many other transitions relationally, but it's certainly a predictable one, right? So um, I want to get uh, one last one here before we got to uh, head out. Uh, we actually, uh, Mishra, you actually answered the first uh, part of this one, but there was a follow-up question. Uh, I'm going to read the first one just for the context. This was Reaver's question of uh, how often does therapy for an individual turn into couples therapy due to interpersonal social interactions influence the situation? Uh, but Grungy Gelfling had a follow-up and says, and to take it a step further, if there are kids involved, does it turn into family therapy? No, well, that really depends um, on what the what the issue is. Uh, I have had um, I've had couples that I've worked with where we've ended up doing some family therapy, and where we've also done a little bit of individual therapy. Mm. I I sort of became their go-to for a bit, which was quite. <laughs> it was such an honor, um, and they were lovely. But uh, but it depends on the issue. I mean. Children will often experience uh, challenges within their parents' relational context if the parents are unhappily together. And likewise, the parents' unhappiness and maybe disagreement around how to raise children creates a lot of confusion for the kids. Mm -hmm. So if we can support the parents, then we also can support the kids, which is to say, if we're working on that parent relationship, often things will sort themselves out in terms of how those parents are dealing with children. Not every time, but often. So, so there's foundational issues. You don't, you don't start from the top down when it comes to um, this sort of interpersonal dynamic therapy. You start from the bottom up. Right. And you start from where it's safer. I'm not going to bring a child into family therapy if I don't understand exactly what's happening with those parents. Yeah. Mm. You know, um, family therapy issues tend to be around other stuff. For instance, um, I worked with a family after one of the children suicided. 
you know. Um, I've worked with families where one person had chosen to absent themselves and they now wanted to come back and do a little bit of work with that family. So they cut off from their family and now they're the ones asking for therapy as part of a... uh, uh, as part of being able to kind of work through some of the dynamic issues that cause that separation. Wow. You know? Yeah. So there's some pretty serious reasons why family therapy might come about. Um, it is the least frequent kind of therapy I have practiced. And I am a family therapist. I'm perfectly happy to do family therapy, but that it's really just a handful of times in terms of if I compare it to the number of couples I th- see, which are fully... There, I would say they're half my practice, if not more, would be couples right now. Mm-hmm. So I work with a lot of couples. Um, can, before we go, actually, Mitra, can I ask you, I, I, I think I was alluding to this question earlier. Where do you, but I, I'm not sure if I asked it so directly, where do you differentiate the need between couples therapy versus individual therapy while simultaneously working with their partner? Because that's oh. something I will do. So let me see. You would do a couple session, but also you would be working on your own individual sessions with a different No, no, no. Therapist. Like if, if, I'm, if I'm working with one of my individual clients, there are times where their partner, is, ah, partner yeah, needs to be involved in the individual yeah, yeah, session. Yeah. How do you yeah. differentiate as a couples therapist the need between individual therapy with support versus couples therapy? Oh, it's a, well, first of all, it's, uh, it's really got a lot to do with boundaries, and then it's got to do with the issue. So uh, I've certainly had clients where they've just been going through a lot in terms of trauma work. And, you know, maybe some in the past, some enacting of some of that trauma experience or some of the trauma narrative has entered um, the relationship, right? Um, but they're pretty, they're usually it's if, a, if, if that person wants to bring their partner in, um, we're very clear that it's about the partners there in order to figure out how to support. And okay. also sometimes in order to figure out how to cope with my clients, the singular clients, dysregulation, right? Because sometimes things will happen where we just go into fight, flight, freeze. Um, sometimes people have come in because there's been issues around their physical, their sexual intimacy in relationally. Maybe there is a history of trauma in there and they just like their partner to understand um, how to proceed, how to cope with triggers, perhaps how not to take it personally if something comes up. So we're very clear on the kind of work we're doing at that point, which is we're not so much dealing with the partner's health because they're not the client, but we are dealing with the client and to some degree the dyad. So, yeah. Okay. Um, well, uh, we got to start uh, wrapping up, but again, Mitra, thank you so much. Uh, for this episode, uh, I mean, we, we when we had this one on the docket, we knew this was going to be the Mitra episode. <laughs> Knocked it out of the park, so thank you. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, friends, where can people uh, find you on the interwebs if they would like to do so? So for me, they can find me at Mitra Jordan and at MitraJordan.com. Um, I'm not everywhere like some of our friends with the mountainous backgrounds, I'm looking at you. Um, but I am certainly available to people and I'm around, so. Uh, I am I am definitely around. Uh, <laughs> but no, y'all can find me on the interwebs at the Dr. B, that's T-H-E-E, D is uh, D-O-C-T-O-R-B as in boy. But it's more important that you follow Take This Org on all mm. of the socials. And oh, by the way, 
we just launched the first in our upcoming video series, Free and Mental Health Education Resources for Content Creators. And this one was in partnership with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention on how to respond to talk of self-harm in your chat. Make sure to go check out Take This Org. Follow us to keep up to date on that one because the next is a three-part series on burnout as a content creator. I'll be filming that next week. That is so great. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I, I mean, you can follow me on Twitter at the Trevor, there's an a high in there, but go do that stuff first. Um, <laughs> you can also find me anywhere the Isle Champions community is because I'm the community manager and that's where I'll be. Uh, thank you to Martin and Mars for moderating the chat today and doing a fantastic job. I uh, thank you to Cody Entertainment and take this for giving us an opportunity to have these discussions. If you missed any part of the show, you can catch it later on your favorite podcast service. Uh, and if you have any suggestions for future topics you'd like us to talk about, you can send those into champions psychology at codenameentertainment.com or if that's too long just tweet them at us um uh, let's see uh we've got a rebroadcast of bardic inspiration coming up after this uh bushwhacker weekly uh later in the day and i believe for the most part the rest of our sc- streaming schedule is about normal so enjoy those uh whenever you can but thank you for joining us this week and until next week take care of yourself bye everyone champions of psychology is meant as education and entertainment it is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling Discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts. While we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources, we cannot offer any recommendations, advice, or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion, but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. We assume no liability for the use of the information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your own best judgment.